This is part two of the Halifax to India and Beyond episode in a more digestible chunk. Imagine just a big bar of chocolate and I've just got a big machete, rusty and big timber handle and I've just gone hiya and chopped it in half so it's easier to uh, digest. We're rolling. In England, you're just another person. But out here, we got a lot of attention. It was overwhelming. It makes me realise that being famous is, is a curse. When you're hot and tired and hungry, it's hard to deal with, and sometimes you'd crack. But sometimes you'd get, like, 100 people just intently staring at everything you do. We chose to be there. It's our own issues. But sometimes you just you weren't the perfect person and you just crack. You might try and stare back at them or something like that, stare each one out. But they didn't mean anything by it at all. Um, there was one time this this guy, we were trying to cook some food because we were starving. And we tried to go off the road in the shade, but where the shade was, it was just full of shit. People had just gone down there and done taken a dump and... It's flies everywhere and we've gone back up so the only place we could cook was on the edge of the road itself and I was actually making chips I'd got some oil and we got some spuds and we were frying up these chips and this guy just stopped and he was just staring at us like drilling holes in us while we were trying to make these chips and it was rude I admit it was rude but no, I'm not going to tell that story I sound like a wanker. <laughs> no, <I'm> just... <laughs> oh no! No, don't tell that story. Uh... <laughs> Shall I tell the story? Okay. So, I just don't want to sound like a complete dick, but you've got to put yourself in the situation. I think this was in West Bengal. This was a, lot, a while later. But we... <laughs> so he's with his wife. And he was watching us so intently and we just wanted to... We just wanted some spice. And it stopped and he had his... He was holding his chin and just watching. Watching and watching. And I just had enough, so I just rolled down the back of my cycling shorts so my bum crack was, like, really exposed. And I, I was squatting down, cooking these chips. And I turned, I could see him out of the corner of my eye, and his wife was absolutely cracking up laughing. <laughs> but he had this really stern face, and he, he didn't blink. I don't know, you, you couldn't shock it. You couldn't shock an Indian person, I don't think. They've seen, they've seen a lot of stuff. We didn't have any guidebook, any language. We couldn't even say, um, hotel, please, now, or guest house. So we were sort of stuck in a corner trying to suss out where there was a guest room. And this bloke in a yellow T-shirt just kind of came out of the crowd and said, oh, you need help. Yeah, and he's follow me, come on. So we're following this dude through the crowd and he's got this bright yellow T-shirt, thank God, so we're just following this bright T-shirt and he 
found us this little guest house. It was just a, a room with a little tiny table and a fan, you know. The, that's the luxury of being in that space. It seemed a lot better in the morning. It was nice and cool and there wasn't as, as much traffic. We'd been cycling through the paddies and we'd seen this sadhu guy outside this temple. He's under this big banyan tree, like this big fig tree. And they put big uh, ribbons and decorations around and they're really sacred, which... He's got like long dreadlocks and really dark skin. And he's got these robes on and he's cross-legged and he's... Um, we saw him in the garden, he's pulling up all this uh, marijuana. And he's sat there under this... And he sat under this tree, chuffing on this big joint. And he's offered us some, but, you know, we don't need it. <laughs> we, we, had a, we were high on, um, on just eating food, you know. Blood sugars would go down. You'd eat some food, your blood sugars would spike up. I think because between New Delhi and Nepal, even in Nepal, because it's not all hills, you go across a delta... And then you go up into the hills, over the foothills. I think on the on the plains, people seem more intense. Maybe it was the heat, maybe it was probably the population and the fire, but in the hills, people were more tired and they didn't hassle you as much because they were knackered as well. And they were often walking up hills carrying big loads. But this sadhu was super chill because he was... You know, he was stunned, so he was just chilling out, and he didn't hustle us at all. He's just like, just waved us under the tree, and offered us some water. So we laid under this tree and watching the sky go by, and he's got this monkey he's adopted, this little baby, and it's running up the tree, climbing along a branch, and then getting to the thinnest section of branch, and then just dropping down onto this cycle rickshaw that was parked on the on the edge of the road. It's like a big hood on it. And the sadhu guy was just watching it. And then if he got too close to the road, he'd throw a stone at it. And it'd run back, scamper back up the tree. And just kept doing this. And we, we was falling asleep and waking up and falling asleep. But then we realised we'd, we'd left it way too light and... Down the track, you'd, you'd start planning planning your days much better than that. You'd normally get some food early, then get a shower the best way you could. It could be a hose pipe or just jump in in a river, however you could get it. Cool yourself down, then put all your long clothes on so you wouldn't get flogged by mozzies. And then you'd just tiptoe to the place you were going to camp. And when you camped, it could be in a bus stop or on a soccer pitch or under a bridge. Wherever you camped, you just made sure that it was just one night so no one knew they couldn't get any sort of um, habitual on you so they could come back and rob you. But at this point, we, we were all new to this. and So we're riding along. We had no idea what was ahead of us. We didn't plan, we didn't know if there was a town coming up and it was pitch black. And we 
our torch was shit. It was just that little mag torch. And we couldn't see a thing. <laughs> we're just relying on the trucks that were nearly running us off the road. We'd, we'd just follow the lights of these trucks and then go a bit further, go a bit further. Couldn't camp on the sides because apart from there being like potential snakes, cobras, and there was actually a lot of flooded land from the paddies. Plus, there was lots of places where people stopped and took a crap and whatnot. We were riding along for ages and then we saw this really faint yellow light on the right side. As we got closer, there was a white building, like a gatehouse, and there was this big stone slab tank out the front. And it was full of water and these there was these dudes out the front and they were bathing themselves with this water. Looking back, it was probably holy water, but we, sacred water, but we, we had no idea. We thought this was a hotel. And they waved us over. Yeah, come on, come on. And they're having a bit of crack with us. And they gave us the ladle and the soap and we had a shower, like, you know. We just had a quick wash down. And there was these pine trees at the back and as the as it was cooling down, the breeze was blowing through these pine trees and blowing this beautiful pine scent toward us. And in the trees, there's all these fireflies. There's thousands of them, and they were flying around the branches. But behind them, because there was no light pollution, there was just this thick blanket of stars. And there was it's hard to sort of work out what was a firefly and what was a star until it moved. It's just gorgeous. And it seemed like an oasis to us. And we looked back and the, at the gatehouse was this small stone veranda. And there was a couple of teenagers there sat on these rugs. And there was this old dude uh, chaffing on a chillum, you know, gurgling in the big pot. And the young, younger teenage guys had waved us over. We sat chatting to them. And we kind of just rolled our sleeping bags out. There's just a little light on this veranda. But there was so many insects. Like, when we were riding, if you, if you didn't keep your mouth shut, you know, you probably wouldn't need dinner because there's just so much stuff flying about. And they'd hit you in the eyes and stuff when you were riding. That was another reason to uh, get yourself sorted out on camp before dark. This one of these teenagers, he... He said, ah, oh, fish, come on, fish. And we'd, we'd cooled right down, but he said, fish, fish, have fish. And I was feeling a bit crook because I think I was already getting some deli belly because we're using chlorination tablets, but apparently they're not that great. And the, uh, like amoebic dysentery and stuff, you needed to use iodine to get rid of that. And the best way was to boil it, and now I just... I'd guarantee I'd be boiling everything, but back then we just had like a British gas type. You know, you really need a stove. You can use kerosene or some easily acquired fuel, and we didn't have that, so we're drinking. We're drinking sketchy water, basically. This guy gave us the fish, and I didn't realise until then that all my lips were cracked from riding the bite. And all this chilli was getting into my lips. Then we got really hot because of this chilli. I start sweating, and all these insects start sticking to our faces, and there's all these mosquitoes. And I'm feeling a bit sick, and I'm laid back on my sleeping bag because we didn't, we, we weren't even smart enough to have mosquito nets then. We had a British tent 
But British tents are designed to keep the cold out, not keep the ventilation, so you couldn't put that up. And then these locusts came in, and they, as we were trying to get to sleep, and one got tangled in my hair, and it was scratching my face. Chillum guys just slurping on this hooker pipe all night long. <laughs> it just ma- It's just making me feel like spewing up. It's like my intestines just dripping. And I'm looking up at the stars, and the night's lasting forever. Like rocking around on this stone floor. Eventually, I get to sleep. And then it's only like an hour, and this truck pulls up and blasts its horn, one of these mega horns. You wouldn't think it was the middle of the night, because they're not worried about sound. There's no tiptoeing around the kitchen. They're just fully like... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so we have bleary-eyed looking at these trucks. Oh. Finally got back to sleep. And then there was an almighty... Honey! Chillum guy's got this mic. The prayer was nice. It was just so loud and it was all fully crackling and distorted. And it's so loud because this guy, he's not just got like a little amplifier with him. He's got all these sort of bullhorn type speakers running all around the mosque and then running down the road so all the locals can hear the morning prayer. We're just riding off at 5am, pannier bags half tied up. And the speakers are just chasing us down the street. So we're back on the road again and we're riding and riding and we got caught in this flood at a place called Muradabad. And the traffic had been backed up for a couple of days and all the sewage had washed up onto the road and there was dead rats and shit. And there's these little black pigs with like mohawks snorting around in this in this shit and we couldn't move we were like a tile in a mosaic we were literally just jammed in there with a whole collection of road traffic and we were stuck there for hours and hours we'd been wading through this stuff like literally getting shit all through our feet and socks it was just getting hotter and hotter of course with this sun and all this this sewage filth turned into a dust and it it was building in the air as well now. And then you got all the fumes, all the kerosene off the big trucks. There's a water buffalo in front of me in this rickshaw. And we're just fully hemmed in. There's like street vendors, people with carts, all stuck in this. You couldn't squeeze through it. I don't think you could have walked through it. It's like going through a pub and you've had a few beers. You can get through because you've kind of got the same synchronicity as all the drunk people. It's like a wave flowing through this pub like, you dudes. But in this... <laughs> In this place, you just could not move. All of a sudden, I started just flying forward. My head threw back. And I look around, and there's a dude on an Enfield motorbike, and he's revving his engine and trying to force me through this about two-inch gap between this rickshaw and this water buffalo. It was just ridiculously hot, and we are stuck in this kind of arena. It was just intense. Tempers were flying. Finally, hours and hours later, it was, we managed to get through. Things started moving and we just took off at high speed and we were riding as fast as we could to get away from all this traffic and noise and chaos. We went about 15k and under the midday sun, it's like 40 degrees and we, we kind of just collapsed in this, found a bit of shade in this gateway so we just laid down and 
this farmer come down and, oh, come on, come on. He's dragged us up, him and his wife. Come on, come on, in. And they got us into this farmyard and we, they had a well pump there. We are using the pump. And the pumps were just a life server, you know. In the heat, Brian and me, we drank so much water, litres and litres of it, just it would evaporate from you immediately. Especially because we were always riding at the wrong time of the day in the insane heat. We just seemed to ride from water pump to water pump. These pumps were the focal point of each village. Women in saris would be bashing their clothes clean and kids would be filling up jugs and buckets to take home. But we, we had no shame. We'd, we'd rock up and up at the pump and one of us would work the pump while the other one was on all fours, dunking their heads under the water. The locals generally thought it was a crack-up. We laid in this farmer's yard and he's shown us to these little straw beds and we laid on these straw beds and his kids are fanning us. <laughs> his little kids. Fanning us away, sort of looking up, half asleep, looking up at these beautiful, smiling little faces. We were entertainment. We were just different bikes, different bikes, different looking. It was kind of like a reciprocal agreement when you got kindness given. You'd normally do something, you know, make them laugh or do something funny. The land, the land was pretty flat leading up to the start of the Himalaya. And we were gunning for, and we were gunning for the border. We stayed one night in a really skanky guest house. I woke up and I was itching really bad. I said, Bri, Shan's torch, what? I jumped up out of bed and I dropped my pants and Bri's just cracking up laughing. It wasn't more just a bite on my ass. It was more like you couldn't see my ass for the bites. It's just like these big red lumps. I don't know if it's bed bugs or fleas. It had been six days and we're already on the border with Nepal. We're in this town called Kathima, staying at the Best View Hotel, which our room overlooked an old railway line and a couple of telegraph poles. We'd, we'd gone into this marketplace and we're trying to find some decent food. And the vendors were lifting up these lids and spooning through this like a curry soup. But it didn't look really appetising because you'd see all these really bad cuts of meat, like the bits that you don't normally eat. And to be like knuckles, hairy knuckles flowing to the surface and then dropping down again into this into this brew. We saw this this restaurant, little cafe. The owner is at the door, this big, massive bear-like bloke, you know, big portly belly. He's in his fifties. He's got like grey wavy hair and a handlebar mustache. Real jovial guy. Come in, come in. Here, come on. Before we know it, he's given us a free bottle of cola each. These dusty bottles, he's just reef one out and he's, he's beckoning us over to a table. And he's, as we're walking, he's saying, he goes, me, before, wrestler. And he's sort of like tapping his feet and getting into this wrestling squat. And he's looking at me and Brian like he's going to take us down. <laughs> it's pretty intimidating because he's a big fella. And he saw our faces, you know, he just started laughing. Ah, da, da, da. Come on, sit down. Come on, sit down. Good food for you. Don't worry. 
So, just kidding. Sit down, sit. I sat at this table and not long after that, a bloke walks in and he's got a gun. He's kind of got it in that typical military stance, holding it like he's ready for action. Wrestler man, he looks at him like a pretty serious expression and just starts laughing. Ah, my security! And he's slapping this guy on the back and this bloke's only like a skinny bloke and he's buckling under these big slaps and the gun's flying all around, sort of flailing around the restaurant with his barrels pointing at us and pointing at the ceiling. Me and Briar slowly sliding under the table. Next day, we're riding toward the border and we saw this big fancy bridge, these big arches. It's actually called the uh, Bambasa Barrage. We went over that and then there's another bridge called the Mahali River Bridge. On Google Maps now, there's another bridge that leads into Nepal, but back then there must have been a bridge missing because we ended up, vividly remember, we had to walk across this weir and trucks were driving across it as well. Sort of, we sort of waded along this algae rocks trying to get across with his bikes. But this river was massive. It's a big delta river. It went right up into the Himalaya and bordered India and Nepal, called the Sharda River. Went up to sort of three and a half thousand meters. When we'd gone through the Indian side of the border, it was really low key, it was just like a little shed. And this guy was there, he had a, I think he had a sarong and a, a white vest on, and he's got his kid sat on his knee. And he was drilling us a bit. <laughs> Looked at the passports. Oh. Why, why are you leaving India? Don't you like India? I said, oh, no, no, yeah, we, we're just going to Nepal. Hmm. He had us sat there for ages. I thought he was going to say there was some sort of issue. I just felt that way with all officials crossing borders. He sent his kid off with the passports to go and get stamped somewhere. I don't know, it must have been an outpost or something. The Indian brochure that the embassy had sent me back then had this amazing poverty filter. There's all these princesses in these beautiful saris and handsome dudes in suits and robes all this wildlife running around this lush rainforest and then the lush paddies and all this amazing food that was just divine. It was an absolute contrast to where we were, you know, in the backwaters, in the poor areas where food was really simple and it didn't have that much nutrition in it. And it was a battle. But we did end up back in India. We came back in later on. So uh, we gave it a second chance, and to be fair, we enjoyed it a lot more too. It was in West Bengal. The, the little cute kid, he come back with the passports, he's running up, he's out of breath, and he hands the passports back, and he, he smudged my stamp with his thumb in his excitement. After the shed, we had to wade across another weir to get to Nepal, and we come up on this bank and just... There's no one around, so we just started riding through this village. And there's still no one around, so we just... I think we were a bit... Um, we weren't that savvy back then about border crossings because it's not something we did manually. You know, normally you're flying through an airport. So we just took off. We're riding through this village, and 
looking at where we're going to go because our map actually ran out in India. There was just this big blank space from Nepal. So just a real remote, low-key village. There was dirt road, piglets running around, chickens and goats. But it was instantly quieter. It was much more peaceful than in the Indian side. There was no real obvious um, immigration point. There was no gate or anything. We just rode off through this village. We had this voice behind us and we stopped riding. This guy's, excuse me, excuse me, please. Said, yeah, yes, yeah, sorry. You need visa, where are you going? <laughs> so we ended up back at this bloke's house. He'd, he, he was asleep in his hammock when we'd gone past and he'd swung out and run after us in his, in his uh, sandals. We got back to this kind of open, this open-fronted house. He had to shoo the chickens out the front and he's got this desk there. He actually let us pay in Indian rupees, which was good, because just being over the border, it didn't make much difference to him. So we paid him the money, he goes, uh, photo? <laughs> oh, no. Um, we ain't got a photo. He goes, oh, this is a problem. You, you need photo. Oh, shit. I think back then the, the nearest place to get a photo was back to Delhi, New Delhi. And he said, oh, you need to return. Get photo, can't return here. We, we just couldn't think of anything worse. I think we would have rather gone over the Himalaya into Tibet than go back along that road. I had my wallet open and he'd seen this, this American dollar in the front of my wallet. He said, oh, give me, the, uh, give me that dollar and uh, I'll take the photos later. Made sense to us. <laughs> Seemed logical. And, and that's how we got into Nepal. Not much further down, we, we met these local farmers. And one of them had actually drawn us a little map on a piece of cardboard showing us where we had to go. 